Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door, just like a Murillo Crossfield ball. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win? Only via the app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the third Red Side of Trent podcast now. I'm your host, Christian Brown. And as always, I'm joined by Lee Clark, Reese Lane and Adam Wixlow. How are we all doing, guys? All good? Good, thank you. Good, mate. Thank you. Great yeah, stuff. Great stuff. Obviously, uh, since we last had a chance to speak, you will... It's been a fairly, it's pretty pretty busy week for Forest. Uh, they finally got their first point this season, the fifth attempt, with a one-all draw in a controversial and feisty East Midlands derby, with, um, with Brennan Johnson scoring his first goal for the club. And then the transfer window closed, which saw Forest bringing a number of players uh, on deadline day, as and even some after deadline day, which we'll go into in more great detail later on in the show. But first off, we will start with the East Midlands derby that finished one-all. And, well, I mean, it was a better performance, really, wasn't it? We, well, the second half, especially. Um, what did you guys, what was your take on it all? <laughs> I'm going to start with a football cliche, um, but it was, to me, it's just a game of two halves, I thought. Um, Derby first half, I thought we was a yard off him. Um, the, obviously, Bong got caught out. I know people saying, why we're not keeping his line, but for me, Bong just... Didn't really go with Lawrence, and to be to be fair to Lawrence, as much as I dislike him, it was a superb finish. He took it well. Didn't I he? think, yeah. yeah, I think Sambo were like thinking he was going to go across him, and then because obviously he's had the bounce, and you hit them sweet, and they go they go flying, and he's hit it sweet. Mm. Um, to be honest, a better side I thought would have probably put us away first half. We was a bit lucky, Derby are all where they are. Second half. From a neutral perspective, which I'm not going to get in a Forest Derby game for us, but I just thought Derby sat back and kind of was part of their own downfall. They looked, to, they was waste, they tried to waste time. They did a Forest, and they got, and the yeah, and they got deeper and deeper. We obviously pushed on, and in the end, we got a goal. Roos made a brilliant save from grabbing just before, and then Johnson's had one of them efforts where you think as a fan, just get it on target, and he got it on target, and it squirmed on the Roos. Disappointing thing now for me was we could have then probably pushed them and gone on to win the game. And in the end, we kind of was holding on a little bit. They had a couple of corners in injury time, which was a bit disappointing for me. But yeah. told you where we are. Very, yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty fair uh, summary, really. I think it was it was very frustrating, wasn't it? That you know, we had we tried we worked so hard to get into the game, we changed we tilted it on its head. And then, you know, we get the goal with seven minutes to the left, all the momentum's for Forest. Mm. And then suddenly we just sit back and sort of go, all right, we'll take the draw. I thought that was quite disappointing. Yeah, it was. Especially in the Derby game. And yeah. look at the age of their two centre-halves as well. And we had like, you know, Martin, who's pacey, Johnson's pacey. Mm. You know, pushing. But that's where we are. And because we haven't got a point, 
maybe if it was mid-table, doing okay, we might have pushed them, but it is maybe. what it is. Yeah, the ball's rolling, I suppose. Um, yeah. We'll start, uh, what was interesting, and um, I'm sure I won't be alone in noticing this, was that for the first time, it felt a bit like, you know, have you all seen Mike Bassett, England manager? Yeah. In the Argentina game, where Phil Jupiter goes, it's the last role of a desperate man and where he brings Tonka on. Um, well, this was the first time, I'm sure we all, as we all saw Graben warming up, we all thought, like for like with Taylor, because he's done nothing different. But this was the first time this season, actually, that he took Ryan Yates off for um, Graben and changed shape. And we had Zinkenagle in the middle. And then suddenly things started to happen. What did you make of that, Adam? I mean, it's a positive change in it in itself, actually going two strikers up top. But quite surprising that you put someone like Zinkenagel in the middle. Um, I don't, I don't know unless it's like a diamond, I suppose. But I don't, I don't know how versed he is in central midfield. But obviously, it was a positive change, and we started to create a bit more. But I mean, I think from a Derby's perspective, if I think if they had a little bit more depth, I think they would have probably finished us from from the chances they had. I mean, Samba pulled off some cracking saves. He had a good day, I think. Samba, he probably saved us a little bit of, of some of the chances. Derby had, but obviously there was two, three massive controversial moments in the game. But I mean, it's it's we'll a nice that. sign. We'll cover that. I know it's a nice sign that Hutton's willing to change, but it shouldn't have taken him five games and a, and a big East Midlands derby to do that. He should have done that ages ago. Any pragmatic manager who's behind in games or where games aren't going their way change things all the time like do you I, think it's brought him like a state of execution or do you think it's been a bit too little too late I think it's I still think it's too little too late from my point of view but whether it's from the club's point of view is a different matter mm. um but I think if someone's trying if you're trying to save your job you're going to try and do everything possible to to win a game of football and I don't feel like that was the case, really, especially when you're saying we, we scored an equaliser and you can go and win it, you've got momentum. It, it seems a bit daft to me. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's probably quite fair. It, it was a bit frustrating, wasn't it? It's sort of like, you know, you thought this is it. You know, if you, if you, if you felt another goal was going to come in those last five minutes, it would have been towards Forest. But as it turned out, like, like Reece said, we basically just invited pressure and Derby almost got a foothold back into the game. Um as you sort of touched on the controversial instance, there were you were correct in saying there were three. So the first one was in the first five minutes when Craig Forsyth decided to try and circumcise um, Zinkenagel um, in front of the linesman and the official, and somehow that got unpunished. Obviously, it since has been. He's got a free match ban. Um, not that it does much at the time because five minutes later he gets the assist to Florence's goal. Um, then I think it was towards might have been the early second half. Where like Joe Worrell sort of may have used his hands to stop the ball going behind him to a Derby player, which would have been an open goal. And then in the last minute from a corner, Curtis Davis um, was thrown around like a rag doll by Scott McKenna, but the ball wasn't in play. Um, now, we are actually quite fortunate here because our resident guest Lee is actually a qualified official. And unlike Peter Walton, who just agrees with everything the referee says, he has some very different views. So, Lee, with your professional hat on, what can you tell us about those three decisions? We'll start. We'll start with the. Um, we'll start with the stamp. Um, well, I mean, first of all, it's a professional opinion, I suppose, but we're not always right. Um, but just from from being kind of on the field and doing Tim Robinson's job before, I'll try and give it from a, a perspective of the officials on the day. So, um, Zink and Argles, I, I don't know how two officials have missed that. Um, the only thing I can think of is. Um, 
And it, it's, a, it's a common factor that in a local derby, officials don't want to make it all about them. Now, if Tim Robinson gives a red card in that situation, he's not given anything else in the game before that. So his first call in an East Midlands derby on Derby's home turf would be to send off Derby's fullback. Now, you don't want to say that he's turned a blind eye as such, but I just don't know how he's missed it because if you're looking for a stamp, you're looking for something that's, if it's accidental, it's usually in the same movement. So you go up, you come down, oh, actually I've stood on someone there. And you would straight away go, I think as a professional to another professional, you'd say, oh, sorry about that. Mm. Whereas if you watch four sides pretty closely, there's actually three movements. So he kind of jumps and then he jumps down and then he thinks, oh, I can see you're laying on the floor there. So what I'll do is I'll put my other foot into your, you know, your nether regions. And I just don't understand how the linesman is stood there. Now, the only bit of sympathy I've got for the assistant is you're always told you're there to assist and not insist. Now, as an assistant referee, I would feel probably slightly uncomfortable in screaming down the microphone after five minutes for the referee who's not seen it to send off a player. But you'd have, to be, you'd, like you'd have to be almost yeah. like 200% certain, which, yeah, I know what you're saying. They've paid a lot of money to make the right calls, and in this instance, they've made the wrong one, I, I think. Mm. Um, but um, I do have a little bit of sympathy there because the, the assistant might be thinking, did I see that right? And then by the time he's probably got his, his ducks in a row sort of thing, the, the game's moved on and the referee's kind of, I mean, for all we know, he could have been talking to the players on the pitch and he, he didn't view it as being quite as malicious as we all saw it was on the camera. So it, I think he got it wrong, but I kind of do have a little bit of sympathy for the assistant referee in that one. Okay. And what about the Joe Worrell handball? Well, I think if you'd have checked the ball just afterwards, I think Joe Worrell's signature was on it. Um, <laughs> it it's, I, I, do you know when I was in the ground at the time, I didn't actually think, I, wouldn't, I was like, what on earth are they moaning at? I didn't like, I don't know what's happened. And then as soon as we got back to the car and you flicked Twitter on that, I can't, again, I can't believe how he's got it wrong. Tim Robinson's actually got a really good position. And I've seen, I mean, I don't know if some Forest fans were on the wind-up to be fair, because the, the Derby lot have been incredibly... Um, they've not been best uh, amused by No, they? they've not been uh, in, in a great mood. Uh, the international break's not done them any favours, I don't think, because they've had two weeks to stew on this this uh, <laughs> slam dunk from Joe Worrell. So, yeah, I it's, again, it's another poor decision. Um People talk about natural movements and natural body positions. Well, with where Joe Worrell wants his body to go, um, I don't really know what he's trying to do, whether he's trying to head it and just completely gets it wrong. But that his arm might look in a natural position, but it's not in a natural position for that particular movement he makes. So for me, it was it was the most obvious handball we'll, we'll probably not see given all season. Probably, yeah. I think I, I was a bit worried when I saw it. I was like, Jesus Christ, it's a pen. But then it sort of shifted to hang on, race not given anything, so that that was quite nice. Um, but what yeah. I would say, what I would just, what I would just say on the top of that as well for the Derby fans who might tune in, probably won't, but um, just in case they are, I've seen some saying that it should have been a red card for denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity because there were two <laughs> players behind him. Well, the one one key aspect of denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity is that the attacking team has got to have the ball. Um, so how Joe Worrell and ball in it can all of a sudden be a, an obvious goal scoring <laughs> opportunity? Was Joe Worrell just going to stick edit in the net for them? Like, or, <laughs> but no, I, that was that was another one. I just thought I'd clear up on that because it, it, some of the some of the things I've seen, it's just like the recreating the laws of football. Do you think Lee that refs kind of try and even even it out sometimes? Like they'll kind of know they missed that Zinchenko stamp 
a bit. And then obviously that Warrell one, they'll think, oh, we best not give that because we've missed one for Forest. Do you believe that's the case? or? Yeah, I do, to be honest. And especially in such high-profile games, I think, mm. I mean, as much as you would never sell it to a player as, oh, I've evened it out, um, I think players are, as much as players can sometimes be lacking in uh, intelligence, but I think they are clever enough to know that if, if a decision's missed early on and then one goes badly wrong for the other team, players do kind of accept it a little bit more uh, in the sense of they'll think, oh, well, actually, we got away with one earlier. So that's probably the referee, as you say, evening it up. So, yeah, I, I don't think if you were sat in a meeting full of referees, I think they'd kind of try and brush that one over. But personally, I do think there is a, an element of that, to be honest. Uh, it's always interesting sort of hearing that sort of side of things, to be fair. Um, but the last one, obviously, was it was Curtis Davis going distance from trying getting into a scrap of McKenna and coming off very much worse for wear for me I mean my view of it well obviously I'm sure you'll clarify this one the ball wasn't even in play and two contact started outside the box but let's get your view on this one yeah so this this has been a personal favorite of mine this week I've, <laughs> I've not been able to resist wading in onto a few Twitter um, arguments again I don't just go on Twitter to argue with people but it's, it's starting to look that way but no um, I had to actually I thought the best way I could sum this one up just for um, people of Derby I know they, they like things dumbing down quite a lot so in law on the FA's website this is I'm going to read this paragraph it says direct is law 12 direct and indirect free kicks and penalty kicks can only be awarded for offences committed when the ball is in play that is actually the first paragraph of law 12 so then after that, you've got loads of bullet points and it's literally everything that you see on a football pitch that might be a foul. Pulling a shirt, reckless, careless tackles, jumps, kicks, pushes, strikes an opponent, that sort of stuff. Mm. So to clear it up, um, Tim Robinson did everything right in this instance. He blew the whistle, um, identified that he didn't want the corner taken. He pulled Scott McKenna and Curtis Davis over and basically said, look, the ball's not in play, but if it is, you're in the risk of a foul. You know, you're doing the same. You're both pulling each other. Cut it out and let's get the corner, you know, taken. I, I just don't understand. I mean, surely you only have to watch football as like a, a seven or eight year old and you get told by whoever's taking you that the ball's got to be in place so it can't possibly be a penalty. Um, some of the takes I've heard, or it's still a foul, it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, what if someone headbutted someone at the back post and the ball's <laughs> not in play? Well, that's an act of violent conduct that can be dealt with when the ball's not in play. So, yeah. Again, that one paragraph just nips that one in the bud. Yeah, I don't know what McKenna was doing. Had the corner come in and he's doing that. It probably would have been a free kick. Like, say, Christian, the initial contact I thought was well outside the box anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, it was one of them things. Of course, 22,000 people, well, 20,000 Derby fans wanted it on the day, but the bloke stood waiting to take the corner. So it's just one of those things. Referee got that one spot on. Nice one. Well, thank you very much for that. And um, yeah, obviously it's now 1,421 days since Derby County last defeated Nottingham Forest. It's nine nine games now, the longest run in history. And hopefully the next time we play, we play them will be the last time for a very long time. Um, anyway, we're now going to move on uh, to the transfer window because obviously that shuts uh, last Tuesday. Um, Forest, in typical fashion, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm never a fan of clubs being busy on deadline day because it shows to me you've had all windows to, you've had like three, four months. And obviously we brought Dave Murphy only in from July. It's a bit different, but I still think by and large, you know, get your house in order early. However, it did sort of work. So I do feel now that most of the gaps were probably being plugged, maybe the exception of the striker. Obviously there's a few 
drama instance we'll touch on that i'm sure in due course but obviously forest signs uh brian ajada um the paraguayan 21 year olds we signed uh draga from olympiakos we signed zande silver on uh the permanent deal and since the window shut we signed jed spence on loan apparently that paperwork was done in time and then we also signed Rodrigo Ili or Eli Ili. We'll go that on a free. So overall, ten new signings at Forest. Not, not one single um, penny paid for a player over the age of twenty-six. Reese, do you think it was a good window, all things considered, or do you think more could have been done? Um, it's a tough one. Um, I'm, in some aspects, yes and no. In some aspects, yes, because we've moved on the likes. I know Art has obviously gone on loan. Basharu, who I had high hopes for, he'd never really had a look in. He's been moved on. Um, there's been a few others moved on. The Costa's gone as well. Um, yeah. The Costa on loan, yeah, is another one. So in that sense, yeah. The squad the squad depth's looking a lot better. And that squad to me, with a manager, is good enough, in my opinion. A, a good manager getting enough out of that squad for mid table, mid table, I'd say. Hmm. This is I'm probably in the minority, but strikers wise, to me, isn't the issue because we don't create enough for the strikers. I still believe that if Graven and Taylor are getting several chances a game, they will score goals. You know, Taylor's had he had the one chance at Coventry, great movement, got himself in the box, finished. The one at Derby, kind of a half chance where it come out to him and he had to try and lob Bruce. Yeah, but you can't keep creating one chance for your striker in two or three games. It's just ridiculous. You know, as people called like for Ivan Tony for Forrest, but when you watch Brentford, they create several chances a game for him. That's why his numbers are high. He's not as clinical because they're creating chance, they're creating chance, and in the end, they'll score goals. Um, so, yeah, yeah and no. We kind of panicked, I guess, a tiny bit on the last day, but that's probably because teams are trying to get rid of one so they can bring one in. And it's like a kind of domino effect. Um, obviously, we're linked with Maggio and everyone got their hopes up with that. And then, you know what it's like when we're linked with Olympiacos cast-offs, if you want to call them that. It's a meltdown. Um, but yeah, that, that lad's played that's lad's played in the Bundesliga. He got promoted with Paderborn a couple of seasons ago. So, you've got to see how he does. You know, when, you, when you've been linked with Maggio, nearly £5 million, £4 million, and then you're going to a guy who's not made many appearances and you're paying a couple of hundred grand for, yeah, the expectation level is going to go down. It does feel a bit underwhelming. But you've got to give players a chance first, you know, give them some games and then make your decisions for me. I think um, it's interesting you touched on the fact that the depth option was, I think, mm. it's very important because you could argue before that, you know, obviously Hewton made several noises about this as well, that he may not have had the players to hand yeah, to switch want. formation. Whereas now, I think you know, Forest are very, you know, the players we have, we can play a yeah. back three, we can play a mm. four three three, play a four two three one. Okay, by and large, we probably can't get away of playing two up front because we only have two strikers and Will Swan at the club. But I think everything else you can feasibly do. So I do think now that you know, with the window, the club might be inclined to sort of say, look, if uh, these next few games go badly, say, look, you've got the players now, you've got, you know, you can, you can be flexible, you can change shape up now. Um, Adam, do you think this potentially puts more pressure on Houston to deliver? Yes and no. Um, like Reese touched on, I think with the whole aspect of not signing a player for too much money or no money over over the age of 26 is a good thing. Um, and people might see it as a panic 
situation. But I generally think this is in in Dane Murphy's like criteria almost. Yes, we might not have got the first, second, third target. We might have had to settle because of the market, FFP, COVID. People don't want to lose their players. So maybe that's why we didn't get the likes of like Josh Lauren, who we were linked to, Lee Buchanan, uh, etc. Josh Madger. And we've had to come down our list a bit, but it shows a bit of progress. And I generally think maybe like seven out of the 10 are definite improvements on our squad. Um, Xander Silva, Drager, uh, Elior, obviously unknown quantities. I don't really know anything about them. Ojeda as as well in that, in that category. Um, but I think it's promising. I mean, you're spending 200 grand on a lad from West Ham who's not really had a chance and West Ham fans said, oh, he maybe deserved one. I know people are going to look at it and say, well, they've not got a striker. Why wouldn't they keep him? But it's an, it's an all right gamble for us, really. 200 grand. You can't really grumble at that. I, I think he could be low expectations. He might turn out to be half decent. So I'm fairly pleased, if I'm honest. I guess um, the interesting thing, and obviously this was something that was quite entertaining viewing on deadline day and I admittedly participated in it myself was the obviously the silver transfer in particular um I, I could speak from you put it in terms like that uh Adam it's 200 grand someone who maybe should have had a fair crack uh, a better crack at West Ham if it goes wrong it's not the end of the world but the Drager issue caused a lot of contention and because uh, purely because he came from Olympiacos but like you touched on there Reese, you know, he's with Paderborn played in the Bundesliga Lee, uh, I've got a bit of a loaded question for you, actually. Um, so, obviously, a lot is made about the Olympiacos players that end up coming to Forests. Do you actually think they've been as bad as they've been made out to be? And do you think it's actually bad for the club when it happens? Um, no. And no, really. Um, I think typically, yeah, we... <laughs> A lot of people have got an axe to grind, haven't they? Because it's no secret that we're Marinac is as little projects on the side. Um, it's a bit like when when you, your missus has got a full time job, but on the side she does body shop or something like that. We are Marinakis is basically his little body shop projects, aren't we? Yeah, Avon orders. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Avon that sort of stuff. We are. It's no. I mean, personally, knowing how football works, I never expected any different. I didn't expect him just to be with Olympiacos all those years and buy us and then you know, spend every hour invested in Nottingham Forest. But yeah, I do think people have got a, a right to demand a little bit more from him. Uh, but I do think the, the the talk of him being no better than Fawaz is completely ridiculous. I, think, I thought that was a bit over the top. I did, see, I did think that was a bit... Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the, the one good thing that Marinakis does do is he puts, well, Brent Sauce aside, he does put pretty decent people to run the club on a day-to-day basis, i.e. pay bills, that sort of stuff. So hopefully with Dave Murphy, he's learnt the lesson with Brent Sauce and we can move on from that. I think, like Reese touched upon, if we'd, if we'd assigned uh, Draga from the Bundesliga, everyone would have been, oh, wow, Dave Murphy's done it again. Or this praising, really or praising Syrianos, yeah, who works in the yeah, Bundesliga exactly. Stuttgart, yeah. But because he's come from Olympiacos, where he's, it's not quite where it's out for him, everyone's like, oh, we're getting their casts off again. Well, we don't really know what we've paid for him. Dare I say it's not going to be a lot. Um, and touching on the second bit of the question is typically when we get rid of them, they make us a bit of money, and not mm. only a bit of money, but they make us a bit of profit as well. So I don't think it's, yeah, ideally you want a squad that is going to be together for three or four years. Everyone would love that. But in the position we're in, where we're still kind of trying to tweak and make changes to find the winning formula, then it, you're always going to have that aspect. And I think if 
if Marinakis has got, I think people are a little bit naive. They they just presume that Marinakis looks at the squad and thinks, right, who's who's absolutely crap? Who can we send to Forest um, and get out of my squad so I don't have to pay him out of the Olympiakos pot? Put him in the body shot pot with Forest, and I can you know get rid of a player from Olympiakos. I think that's complete nonsense. It's absolutely ridiculous, and um, I've got I'm always reluctant to call players before they kick the ball for us, even if I've watched them at other clubs. Um, I haven't watched Draga to be fair, but even if they have been, you know, underperforming at other clubs, I'm always keen to give them a, a chance here. Adams used what an example in our group this week. Mikel Antonio, his stats were absolutely shocking. Um, someone said to me on Twitter that he'd terrorised defences for two seasons at Sheffield Wednesday before um, he came to us. Well, that was news to me because I'm pretty sure I looked at Twitter when we signed him and everyone was in pretty meltdown. One half Great, we've million, got a Sombolong, yeah. but why have we signed this Mikel Antonio guy? He, he seems pretty rubbish. So, yeah, I'm always a fan of giving players chances and I just hope that uh, the supporters will do the same with, with the ones that we've got on deadline day, to be fair. I just wanted to touch in and about the Maranakis thing as, as being their body shop. For me, him getting Forrest into the Premier League is more beneficial than getting Olympiacos into the Champions League because we will make him so much more money. Yeah, um, absolutely. The, the money true. that gets into the Premier League is is redonkulous. Um, there's people starving in the world and got no hospitals or school education, but the Premier League's got plenty of money. I know that. So it, it make, it's a no-brainer for me if you're a businessman. Um I think if if Forest get into the Premier League, I see you'll see the money get spent. So that, I think, I've, yeah. that's just my little little touch on it. Well, there is one <laughs> thing. The that, <laughs> yeah. Although one of the things, I mean, this is something that a lot of people overlook as well. I, I understood the frustration about not signing a striker, and obviously, it looked like Madison may have failed a medical according to the reports in France, which obviously we can't do a lot about. Other strikers we went for. It looked like we may have had enough for one marquee signing. But what people seem to overlook is that the reason why we only had one enough, one for marquee signing was because we kept hold of Brennan Johnson, Joe Worrell and Alex Mighton. So had we sold any one of those, there's, I've no doubt that we'd have bought players. And obviously, um, in terms of keeping those three reefs, do you think that's arguably better than selling one of them to buy a better squad? Or do you think it's better to have them around? It's always, it's always nice to keep your academy projects and you know, we saw Burke for a few games and he got sold. A pie was seen for a few games, he got sold. And look at how their careers have gone. You think, mm. you know, what a waste. You know, I'd like to see Johnson for a season, you know, at least. You know, give him a season. You know, some, um, something that I'm going to touch upon about the spending, um, I don't like using talk sport as a source, but Simon Jordan is probably the best person on this. I'm going to trust them. Um, he said a couple of seasons ago there's 180 million spent in the championship. Last season was 70. This is for the, all the clubs combined, or it might be actually the EFL. This year was 35 million for the whole EFL. So it's foot. not just Forest. Who are not the majority of that money. was Harry Wilson, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's your, that's your money from the Premier League. So you, you look at all the clubs like us who have been staying in the championship, not had that parachute money, never had it. None of none of them are really spending money. They can't afford to spend money. So, yeah, but to keep, to keep them is obviously a, a positive. Um, I do think the club was kind of banking on selling Warrell or Johnson away to probably fund the likes of Buchanan and um, Laurent and um, Holmes was linked from, from Reading, weren't they? Mm. So, but, yeah, Warrell, Warrell to me is the, is the biggest leader in our team. You saw that I thought at the end of the Derby game. That's 
That's why I kind of gave him my man of the match because I thought he got us over the line. Mm. You know, he put his body on the line. He got us when well, he was hand. being pushed off a bit. Yeah, at that, but more like towards the end of the game. It's a mixture, I guess. When you have like kept the best players, couldn't really spend money, but still brought players in. So it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. If you were to give a rating of the window out of 10, what would you give it? I reckon, for me personally, start the ball rolling, I'd say probably a six in terms of, I think we got rid of a lot of dead words and I think we've signed players where we needed to sign them. I'm a bit worried about the amount of loans in the squads, but you can't fix Forest in one transfer window. I'm sure Dane Murphy knows that as well. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that about a six. The thing is with Forest, the, you know, the, the turnover of players we've had, we clear one bomb squad and then another bomb squad continues. You know, Arta, Bashiro, De Costa, and it and it really Jenkinson's another one who did not manage to shift. Um, you, you're kind of waiting for their contracts to expire every season. You know, look how many players we lost in the summer, contract expires, the likes of Heffler, that type of player. And you're still ending up with players who are a surplus to requirements, still on the contract. It's ridiculous, really. Mm. It's crazy. It is, it is bizarre. But I hope, like you said, hopefully we're coming to the end of that. No, Jefferson a bong about this. This um, <laughs> no. that's, that's always a bonus. Um, Lee, what about you, mate? Out, out of ten, what would you go for? Uh, it's difficult. Yeah, I, I don't think I can justify any more than a six. Um, maybe six and a half, just on the basis that I think in the game and half he's played outside two two looks really good. Mm. Um, yeah, it'd be nice if he wasn't necessarily made of biscuits, but. Hopefully this is a one-off. It's a bit of an isolated injury. Um, but yeah, he's looked really good. We've got Garner back. I think everyone would have taken that Absolutely, uh, at the end of last yeah. season. Um, so yeah, I just think Zinc and Argyle as well, been head and shoulders above anything else. So I think probably I would justify six and a half. Um, if the new players can come in and, and prove a hit as well, I'd probably bump it up again to maybe seven and a half. Okay. And finally, Adam? Uh, I'm going to go a little bit lower, five and a half, mainly because we've only seen half of half of them play. Um, obviously, the half for being for, for, for Garner coming back uh, and then getting rid of some of the deadwood. Uh, I think we just need to see what's what's going to happen, whether Hewton changes anything to integrate these new players and get us playing in a better brand of football. Because I am willing to give him a, a, another opportunity if he's willing to change it. But from what we've seen for a season half, he's not. So I, it's, I'm so on the fence with it. I want him to prove me wrong because mm. proving me right is just is shit it's for the club, isn't it? Forest, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we all want that club. at the end of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Unless you're a weirdo, obviously. <laughs> you know, to see, you know, people are like that. They've got an agenda and they want people to kind of fail it. It seems I'd love Hewton to turn around and prove me wrong. We all want. Absolutely. It means yeah. success for Forest. So moving on to something a bit more fun now. Obviously, it was the international break, so we all had a chance to look at England and other various things uh, during the uh, international break in the days that came. Uh, one of the things that we asked you in, in light of uh, Brian Ajada signing, who I think has very strong potential to be a fan favourite, and uh, many thanks to all of you who got in touch, by the way. We've been like, overwhelmed with the request. It's been great. Uh, so we asked, who is your favourite continental signing and we've got some great comments here so one from Mark saying uh, Brian Royal's a legend and a great team love Van Hoydonk will take this reputation love Bahinen Radimajewski similar players in both quality there's actually quite a lot of love for Brian Roy actually to be fair Shibs says Lars Moosey and Raddy hopefully that's uh, Lars Bahinen not Lars Veldbike because Lars Veldbike was not very good um, again uh, Carl says got to be Roy for me him and Collymore were on fire would have been Van um, Hoydonk had he not been on strike 
Um, I like this one actually. Uh, we're out the EU now. This is from uh, someone called Mr. Grimsbell. We're out the EU now, so Roy Keane by a mile. Uh, but on a serious note, Johnny Method was real class, stroked the ball like Blofeld stroking his cat. Brilliant player. <laughs> um, we had some reactions. Um, we have a great one from Stephen Paul Williams says, When I was younger, it was Johnny Method. Lars Bohinen was also very special. Should also mention Matty Louis Jean, my wife's favourite player, although I'm not sure that had anything to do with football. Um, again, not, lovely one here from John as well Van Hoydonk because of memories I had as a kid listening to the games on, my, uh, on the radio in my dad's car if you had a free kick he'd pull the car over obviously that says to me do you remember that free kick against Liverpool where the 93rd minute he just whipped it top corner um, fun fact by the way Liverpool are still not beating Forest in the Premier League here at the City Grounds and that Van Hoydonk goal secured that they probably won't play us again for a long time but so he could do it while it lasts um, <laughs> I bet he cooks him up that yeah, um, Stephen Ike says, Raddy, for me, I was at that pre-season friendly at Russian Diamonds in the 0-9-10 season. We heard the team news got, and everyone was like, who the hell is this guy? Less than two minutes in, he smashed a shot straight into the top corner from 25 to 30 yards out. Um, some shouts, uh, David Jones says, Hans van Broeken, great keeper, no one heard of him in time. Went on to win the Euros, also had European Cup with PSV, arguably our best keeper since Shilton. And again, um, Kendo says, by a country mild, mercurial midfield maestro Lars Bohinen. Side note, I was most excited about Van Hoydonk, knew back a mountain of goals, but didn't legislate for him turning into a swat. So thank you again, all of you. Really do appreciate that. Guys, who is your favourite continental forest signing? I'll start with Reese, actually, because he's already sort of given the game away a bit. You put me on the put me on the spot, man. Um <laughs> I did tweet my first game was in 1996, um, but I was only I was only four then. In my first year as a season ticket holder was the 0203 season on the Paul Art playoff season. It's a good season, that. Um, very good season. He's gone down in ever since that season. Um, so, like I said on my tweet, Louis, John, and Brennan was ahead of their time for me, overlapping fullbacks, the way Paul Art played. That style of football would still be brilliant today. It was ahead of, his, ahead of the time, really. I always remember Paul saying how Neil Warnock hated us playing a diamond against Sheffield United because he never really just find out how to combat it before we capitulated in the playoffs against him. So, yeah, um, my favourite, I mean, Van Oydong, he was unreal. Again, as a kid, I remember watching him more on the telly and that his free kicks, the technique and the power, the accuracy of his free kicks and the, the power he got behind it was unreal. Um, but my favourite, it's a tough one. Um, it's a real tough one. Obviously, it's Foskovic. But... Oh, God. <laughs> um, there's so many bad ones. I'm just trying to, th- I'm just trying to think there. Um, one who springs to mind as well, who's another one who's not been brought up, which is, again, when I was early watching Forest, was Ben Olsen. Yeah, the left was back. a decent little player yeah. on loan, yeah. Um, I think he was DC United he was on loan from. Mm. Um, he was decent. I'll, I'll stick with Louis John for my first season. I'll Probably go on my Frenchman. first season. Yeah. I wish, you know, we struggled for a right back for a while, so it'd be ideal. Now. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so what I'm going to do is going to lead on to a question for you all. Okay. Um, which I hope, I hope I've got the right answers for. But we've signed two South Americans this week, uh, Rodrigo Eli and Brian Oyeda. I've gone through the internet and off the top of my head, I believe we've had four other South Americans who played for us. Sorry, five. So I'd like you to name them. Gonzalo Yara. 
is one, yeah. Bonatini. Leo Bonatini. Is two. Yeah. Oh. Do you know Padula? Argentina? Three. That was, that was another disaster, that was, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Megson said, signed him, and then a day later was like, I shouldn't have signed him. Or something like that. <laughs> Do you know Padula? That summed the up his reign. Does Breris and Diaz count? <laughs> yes. He that does. is the fourth one. Yeah. There you four. Bonatini, Brereton, Yara, Jakob, Padula. Amazing. You know, so, <laughs> Before Great obviously job. these two lads, if they make an appearance for us, which yeah. uh, Forrest probably won't. <laughs> yeah, remember Joel Texera, it's the Portuguese guy. Who yes, on mode yeah. Twenty three yeah. for season. Good lord. I always remember the first season of Suitcase. We had a guy in there called Benjamin Gavinon who never ever played. <laughs> he came. He came in January in Paul Arts. He's never ever played. Went back into the wilderness. <laughs> that sounds about right for Forrest. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. into the wilderness. Um, yeah. Lee, who is your favourite continental signing from Nottingham Forest? But it's Brian Roy for me. Um, I think my first year as a season ticket holder was when we first signed him. Um, and then we didn't, English football wasn't really littered with foreign imports then. So when he came across, it was like, it was like such a big deal. Um, yeah, just watching it, he used to glide past players. He was just, he could make something happen out of nothing. And, and the link up he had with Collymore, I think even Collymore himself credits a large amount of his goals. Um, you know, particularly in the Premier League, down to the brilliance of Roy. Um, yeah. The defenders just couldn't cope with him. But what I would say, I, I've thought of another one, and I think with so much negativity about foreign imports at the minute on social media, one name did spring to mind. By no means, even in, by his own admission, he wouldn't be the best to ever, you know, strut his stuff on the city ground turf. But Guy Moussi, what I loved about Guy Moussi he just was... He got the club, didn't he? He just got... Mm. He, he came from an unknown French club, unless you really follow French football. Um, <laughs> and, and with, you know, within, you know, a matter of a month, two months, he just got the club. He kind of got the supporters. He got the fan base. He came over here. He spoke about how much he loved Nottingham. Um, he kind of put himself firmly in... The, it was like he went out his way to kind of make himself feel at home. And I think when you look at, you know, not mentioning any names, but there's so many players who seem to have come over and you hear about, oh, they're leaving because they don't like Nottingham, they don't like the weather, they don't like the food, this, that and the other. Um, they don't like the space they've been given at the training ground and all that sort of rubbish. So, yeah, I just he sprung to mind as someone who I think, you know, would add a nice bit of positivity because he always gave 100%. He wasn't the most technically gifted player, but if I remember rightly, Forrest, he was one of them players that... You didn't really notice what he did until he didn't play. Yeah, um, that's true. To be fair, especially with Magoogan. Very like Paul such, McKenna. He was such a yeah. shield for Magoogan. I found with Moosey. like yeah, you know, so, he, he just let Magoogan do his thing, and, like he'd do all the ugly stuff for him. So yeah, I just thought, in, with all the negativity, I was just thinking of one player who's really got us as a as a foreign import. So uh, cheers, Guy Moosey. Hero, <laughs> what a hero! And um, Adam. What about you? Who's your favourite Forest? Uh, so, just before, just before I, I do give me answer, touching on Guy Moose, I love the fact that we all used to shout Moose at him, uh, <laughs> like, but he used to think we was booing him. I think at one point <laughs> until he got told he was just getting called Moose. Um, yeah, he, he was a he was a brilliant player. I mean, there's a few that I liked. Obviously, Raddy for for my heritage reasons, uh, loved them. Mine's a really left field one. Uh, I've got a couple actually um, under Dougie Freeman. He solved the left back problem twice, but the first left back he bought in Danny Pinillas, I just loved him. I think he used class, and I don't I can't believe where he's ended up because 
he was he was I thought he was a tidy left back mm. for some strange reason I just had this lovely affection for him um, <laughs> especially obviously scoring that 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 equaliser against Derby uh, under Warburton um, it was just unfortunate he got a few ACL injuries but for pure entertainment value and just madness Hildeberto Pereira oh, is a legend for me. Because what right back is taking on six players a game and doing <laughs> about, I mean, no 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 one gets done for foul throw-ins in any level of football <laughs> in professional football but him and I just thought this guy is brilliant like my season ticket was worth it just for him. I remember a bit of a way when. Yes, uh, I was there. Lansbury scored in the 90th minute and Barrera got second yellow for celebrating <laughs> with the fans. <laughs> just yeah. like, come on. I think, I mean, like, there's a goal he scored against Birmingham oh, where yeah, he got yeah. the ball from right back, took a couple on, did, like, got it into the middle, carried on his run and then, like, ended up getting on the end of it. And I went, this guy is just unbelievable. What a bloke. Um, I mean... <laughs> Couldn't defend, but bloody hell, he could attack. <laughs> but he couldn't play right wing. Yeah, like from right back, he was like the most dangerous. Them, yeah. And this is what I think that say Tutu could potentially be, but with a bit more discipline. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just I think just for an oddball, Pereira. Just for I just loved him. What a bloke. No, <laughs> I, I, I can I can understand that to be fair. I can very much believe that. I think for me, I think. The last truly great signing Nottingham Forest made was Van Hoydonk. And I know it obviously ended very sour, but you have to remember, this was a guy who was so good that he kept Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank out of the Dutch 98 World Cup squad, despite playing yeah. in the championship. You know, if that doesn't tell you anything about, you know, that Dutch squad got to semi-final, you had Burkamp, you had Fadorf, mm-hmm. all sorts of absolute like, monstrous icons of football. And he was well in amongst them, like it was like not a day out of sort. And I think that was a, it's a shame how it ended. And even then, he still scored a number of goals in the Premier League for us. Um, I think that was the last truly great signing we made. I was a bit young to really appreciate it. I was like, I saw like him play once. So I think my favourite would probably be. It, <laughs> I, I love Pereira. I did. I think, um, yeah, I think to be honest, actually, I really like Lucy. Actually, Doris of Reese deserves a shout, I think. Doris yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, Such a nice bloke leader. as well. Yeah, like I think he was an absolute leader as a goalkeeper mm-hmm. and you know a very calming influence on the back four. It was a shame that he had like so haphazard tactical management in front of him for Montagnier. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely I just wish I was old enough to appreciate just how good Van Hoydonk was because we won't sign a player of his ilk for a long, long time until we get promoted. And even then, how do you get someone of that calibre without spending... Yeah, he was class fan, I don't Yeah. I wonder if we could just um, have a bit of a, a bit of a shout-out to Robert Tesher as well for the assist in yeah. that uh, Derby game. Yeah, yeah he course, just got yeah. promoted with Bosham as well as champions in Germany. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just touching on Lee's one with Brian Roy, I not, I've only really seen him on video back in the day and that, but I used mm. to have this video called Forest breaking a record. I think it went like 24 games unbeaten in the Prem. And there was a goal from Brian Roy on there against Wimbledon where it got crossed in. I think it was by Scott Gamble. And he did the Carnu flick against Middlesbrough is the most famous one. What Graben tried against Derby. And it went in the bottom corner. And he's just like walked off, I think, with his finger up. Like he'd just <laughs> not done anything amazing. He was that cool of a guy. 
Maybe when you've come from, from Ajax, I, don't, I think you can just do what you like, really. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Academy, yeah. No, it's crazy to think, like, if you again, now, that again, that Holland 94 team, the fact that Forrest could at that time go, yeah, we'll have him, and they could sign him. Now it's just like <laughs> all the Dutch players who try and sign go to Serie A instead. <laughs> anyway, it's now time for a special guest, and we do have a very special guest with us tonight. Please, well, join more saying hello to WBA featherweight champion of the world, Lee Woods. How you doing, buddy? You all right? Oh, good, mate. Oh, good. Thanks. You guys all right? Good, good. Yeah, yeah good, mate. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it a lot. Yeah, no worries. Have you been up so much? <laughs> uh, I've been so busy um, since my fight. I haven't really had time to, like, touch ground yet. Um, it's been mad. It has been mad, but... I'm not moaning, I'd rather be busy than bored, so. <laughs> no, absolutely. I guess as well, obviously, it wasn't that long ago since we actually saw you at the City Grounds. We came out and uh, got a chance to show your belt around. That must be quite nice. Yeah, so a little little secret about that. It wasn't actually my belt. I've not got my belt yet. Um, my good friend, uh, Jordan Gill, he lent me his WBA international belt to parade around the pitch because... Obviously, people don't want to wait a month or two till I get my belt, which it's been a month, I think, as now. So um, I'm still waiting for my belt, which it should be any week. But um, yeah, I borrowed his belt to do do a few laps. <laughs> no, it's was, it was, it was good to see you get, you get such a good reaction as well. As well, it must be really meaningful for you. Brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Um, I didn't expect it because normally when I go out, um, I go out before the game, and you know you get a good reception. Everyone's there waiting for the game. It's it's pretty full. So normally at half time, what normally happens is whistle goes, everyone goes, gets to something to drink and eat, and um, you know you get a bit of noise. But for some reason, I don't know if they knew I was coming out or they got the heads up. But a lot of people waited, mm. and uh, I'm so grateful because I got a really good reception. Anyway, I'm now going to pass over to our boxing expert in race, who I believe has a few <laughs> questions for you. Boxing expert, use that lightly. <laughs> um... First of all, mate. Congrats. Congrats. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, mate. Um, first of all, congratulations. Um, I'm not just going to say this because you're on the podcast, but I thought you was absolutely brilliant on the night. It was as good as a performance I've seen from when I started watching boxing back to the Carl Frotch era. Um, so obviously, well done on that. Did you think your way of fighting stopped him? Um, as you can, or do you think, did you expect more from him? No, absolutely. Um, I knew how the fight was going to go. I even did an interview two days before the fight with Tony Bello and outside the zone bus on site. And I said, what's going to happen is, they said, how are you going to do it? I said, this is what I'm going to do. And when I do it, people are going to say, it didn't turn up. Um, it's been an active. They're going to make excuses for him, but it won't even be that. It'll be what I'm doing to nullify him. Um, and it's called if you're going to go on YouTube and you look at Lee Wiley's boxing who's our video um, analysis guy Lee Wiley comes up with like game plans and um, things we should be doing against certain styles there's a video on there saying uh, how to nullify a volume puncher I think it's called and you'll see the things I was doing and the things you should do against the volume puncher um, and I said to Tony Vedder I said look I said what are you going to do I said I'm not going to give away anything yet but come and talk to him after the fight and I'll tell you what I did to nullify him um, I've not had a catch up with him yet, but um, you know the things I did. I don't want to go through it too much because I'm pretty sure I'll be fighting him again. But um, there's things I did that were drilling 
every day before the fight, um, even fight week. For, for the six weeks that I got, it was pretty much daily um, the things I was doing, like, for example, stabbing to the body, keeping him occupied when I'm not punching, all these things to take away his game. Yeah, because, I mean, he never really got, a, you never really let him get a foothold in the fight, did you? I mean, I, I watched it in town. And I had, I think I had you, if you didn't have finish, if you didn't knock him out, I think I scored it like eight, four up, rounds up to you. Why some of the judges and reports at ringside were saying it was really tight. And I, I didn't, I didn't see it that way at all. I didn't um, see it. Um, when you was there, for, for me, in the, being in the ring and landing the punches, it was quite clear cut when I was landing the big shots mm. to take the round because... They were just bellowing around the whole arena. Um, and then I watched it back and it wasn't as clear. The shots you couldn't hear with on the microphone, it wasn't as clear. So I don't know if the commentators yeah. had earphones on and was listening to the right, okay. I'm not sure. I'm not making excuses for them because that was poor even so. But um, I, I was clearly ahead in my eyes. The judges mm. at ringside got it fairly right. I think it was five rounds up to yeah. going into the last. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think that was pretty fair. Is is that gonna be um, a rematch then? Because I've seen um, I can't really say link like football, but I've just seen a, a boxing Twitter account mentioning Michael Conlon a fight with him. Or will it be a rematch yeah. with you can again? Um, to be honest with you, I'm not 100 percent sure. Obviously, mm. you can Kanzu has got his rematch clause, but um, the Conlon fight is now. As far as I'm aware, gone into negotiations, and if they don't negotiate a deal, then it's going to go to Perspid. So I'm not sure mm. that will be a priority, or mm. I'll have to fight Kanzu in the meantime, or the winner will fight him instead. But then again, the winner's supposed to fight Santa Cruz, so it's all a bit complicated. There's going to be a little bit of drama coming up, I'm sure. But um, look, it is what it is. Um, I'm just happy to be at this level in these big fights. Either way, Kanzu or Conan, I'll get the job done. And then um, all being well, I get to test myself and really show what I can do against Santa Cruz. Do you think you will take the rematch? Apparently so. Apparently so. Yeah. I think for it, yeah. Um, like, I think he thinks he had a bad night. I think he coming over mm. here. Um, but, but look, I had five weeks notice. Regardless of his activity, I had five weeks. Well, I had six weeks notice. I only had five weeks of training. Um, and that's regardless of where your fitness level is, you don't really train elite level you just took over and I remember where I was at um, I was a week before I got the notice you know I had a few late nights for kind of an hour of sleep on one night you know I was still I was still enjoying myself because I thought I don't have a day and when I get a day I've got 12 weeks notice so I'm going to enjoy myself for the time that I've got and um, I had a few nights I didn't I wasn't drinking or anything but I still had a few late nights I was catching up with mates and um, a few house parties and stuff um, luckily obviously I wasn't drinking but yeah I mean I had five weeks of training at the end of the day. Mm. And I know I can, I can be a lot fitter, a lot stronger, and a lot more focused, and a lot get a lot more prepping as well. Get, I only had four spars for the fight. So um, you can imagine, obviously, I, I performed, but I just know I can do a better job on him. And more to so, more so, he's going to think he needs to do more. And if he comes forward and throws more punches for me against me, it's going to be an earlier night. I've heard, and I'm sure most Forest fans have heard that, obviously, you want to um, fight at the city ground. Um, any who would be would there be any preference of like um, I've seen you obviously have a bit of heat on Twitter with Kid Galahad who obviously went on to beat Jazza Dickens I watched that fight and 
to be fair to Kid Galahad, he was really good on the night. I thought, you know, um, Jazza Dickens retired on his stool in the end. Um, is that something you would like it to go down in the end, fighting him? So I think there's there's, there's five fights which could potentially uh, be big enough for the Forest Grand. At the bottom of the pecking order would probably be the Condon fight, but it's got a massive profile. Um, you know, the, the Irish are right behind him. That's borderline big enough for the city ground. Um, mm. The second in line, probably I would say, is Navarrete. He's got the WBO. He's a dangerous Mexican. That could build that. That'd be a, a unification fight, a massive fight. Obviously, I've got to win the super title against Leo Santa Cruz in the meantime. Um, Leo Santa Cruz, again, that's big enough. He's a massive name. Obviously, he's been there with Frampton, so that would, that would warrant it. Warrington, because it's Nottingham Leeds, dirty Leeds, no one likes Leeds. That would be, <laughs> that that would be a, yeah, that would be a, no, that, that, would. that would warrant, that would warrant uh, the, the city ground fight, depending on what happens. If he gets the win or if he gets beat, that would still probably be big enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one uh, would be Kid Galahad, I think. That would, that would definitely sell because of the bad blood. So they're mm-hmm. the fights that, that could, could happen, potentially be big enough to, make it happen um, and it's, it's all about timing because obviously it's going to happen in summer there's obviously some bad blood as well between Nottingham and Sheffield with Kid Galahad as well I know you mentioned Nottingham and Leeds um, with Josh Warrington so obviously that would put a bit of extra spice to it what was like the difference fighting in Eddie's back garden to walking out at a usual packed arena what was the kind of differences obviously Any- it, it was different to my usual fights, but bearing in mind, I boxed in February with nobody there um, when I won the British title. So I waited 20 odd years to win that British title and um, I did it in an empty room and I looked around, it's like literally no one there. You could hear my coach screaming and my corner screaming. Um, you can hear it on the, on, the, uh, on the fight. If you watch it back on YouTube, you can hear Ben and Barry screaming. Uh, you can pretty much hear everything word for word Ben says. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't as good as boxing at the Nottingham Arena, but it was a step forward from being in an empty room. There was an atmosphere. I think my auntie, when she got there, she went around the whole crowd and said, look, Lee's fighting for the world title. Get behind him. He's fighting someone from China. Get behind him. Make some noise for him. She literally went around everyone with my mom and um, got everyone behind me. And, you know, in the end, people were chanting for me. So um, that, was, that was nice of him to do that. And um, it was better than an empty room. It had a bit of an atmosphere. Hopefully, next time out, back in a full capacity stadium. Do you prefer walking out your ring walk to a packed arena or coming out with your belt at half time at Forest? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think a packed arena would be better. Um, mm. at, at the Forest Ground. I might add. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, I'd ideal world, yeah. both worlds. That might be amazing. Yeah. Um, and I keep saying, you know, I've got my ring walk sorted now. I feel like um, something inside too strong is my jam at the minute, and I'm going to keep that whilst I'm boxing in places. But mm-hmm. if I do, when I do, sorry, let me just attract this bell. When I fight this forest ground, um, it's going to be Mullican Tire, and there's going to be no shadow of a doubt, and it's going to be absolutely electric. Yeah, that 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 would be absolutely that would be absolutely brilliant. I mean, I think you can tell that you're a big Forest fan, Lee, because I don't even think I remember Carl Froch coming back to show off his belt at any point. So it just shows. But I mean, like, what? Um, just like touch on Forest. Obviously, we want to ask you some Forest questions. But um, who got you into Forest? What's your first memory? 
best player you've, you've seen play, maybe? <laughs> so, um, my granddad got me into, into Forest. Um, he took me to my first game. I can't remember who it was. it was. I think it was 97. Um, at the time, I might have been before then, might have been 96. At the time, um, you know, them yellow kits that was knocking about, the away kits. Mm. I'm not sure if you've seen them. Um, yeah, the Labat yeah. one. The Labat one, yeah. Me and my brother have got a photo in them. Somewhere, it's on my gram somewhere. Um, the proper oversized. They look like they're not even the right size. But um, <laughs> that was around when I first started going to football. And obviously, I, I was more boxing as I got older because... I was terrible at football. <laughs> I was literally. <laughs> I always supported Forest, um, even when I wasn't going to the games as much. When boxing took over, and I was fighting up and down the country, but I've always been a Forest fan. Um, yeah, my the favorite player growing up at school. You know when you run around and you shout people's names. I think I just have a vision of like at primary school, Pierre van Eyde Boydonk, and I think he had a spell there when I was at school, and he bagged a lot of goals. I think it was over like a year or two. And he just bagged mm. it out. I just remember his name when I was a kid. But um, obviously, all the all the greats, um, you know, Keane and Pierce and that. Obviously, they're obviously the legends of, of City Grand. But um, Pierre Van Oudon for me is one that I just won't forget. Do you know, like, if you had, if you could have a five-a-side Forest team, like past or present, of or maybe of just players you've seen, who, who would you have? You've so you've got to be in it as well. <laughs> so pick four. Um, so four players. <laughs> Obviously, Pierce, Keen, Oidonk, myself, and even in recent years, I try to pick one from recent years that I was a bit quite favourite of. Um, it all depends because you always get players out of out a few or half a season, and then just stop doing stuff. So like, there's a time with Antonio, and um, it was up with Antonio. Um, it went to Middlesbrough. Sombolonga. Sombolonga, yeah. Sombolonga and Antonio. They, they had like a little fingering off. Even grabbing a few years ago. I'm not sure what's happened to him. But um, maybe one of them three as well. Let's say uh, a Sombolonga because, yeah, why not? Sombolonga. <laughs> I love the, uh, the no goalkeeper. <laughs> Very attacking <laughs> side. <laughs> like I said, Samba was my, like, when he saved, saved a few penalties in the year, like, he was my favourite as well, but I just I just feel like he's not been performing lately. It's sad because you like you really you, you talk all these people up to your mates like no, oh, he's, he's magic, he's magic, and then they have a few bad games, and then I think the confidence just it's like anything. Isn't it? They have one bad game or two bad games, and the confidence gets knocked, and then they have two good games, and the confidence is up again. Um, so I think they just need to like pull together a bit more. I'd like to the team pull together more, like especially when we're at home. Like the, I went to the game of the week when I took my boat, and like I think it was. I think we scored in the second half after I went on the pitch, but just the fans won't agree. They won't make a lot of noise. And sometimes it can be the difference between the lads performing and not. We have touched on that on the podcast before, Lee, about the atmosphere from fans. Um, the first game of the season when we played Coventry away, their fans really got behind them second half and they ended up winning the game 2-1. Yeah. And to be fair, on Saturday, second... First half, we was pretty poor, our fans, I thought, when we went 1-0 down. But second half, we got behind them. And, yeah. You know, we ended up getting a point out of the game. So, like you say, it does show you what fans can have a massive impact. And we've seen that already across the whole board. I mean, a few years ago, I remember going down, like, people chanting every other minute. 
I sat there for the whole game. There might have been three chances throughout the whole game. It's not good enough. You're at home. You need to make people know you're at home. Let them know you're at the Forest Ground. Let them know the City Ground. And um, and, and really make some noise and let them know it's a bit of a wolf pit and, and they'll pick the players up. A few games ago, Myerton came on and uh, he just changed the game straight away because he just he had a few attempts. There was too much passing around. Then all of a sudden, Myerton came on and thought, no, I'm going to have a few cracks. He had a few cracks. And then the crowd got up. Oh, we're getting close. We're getting closer. Then that picked them up. And they started passing around more. Then everyone started having a better go. And it does pick the team up. And uh, we need to do more of it. Mm. Do you like just touching on Forest anyway, Lee? Um, what What are your thoughts for the season, the rest of the season? Your thoughts on on Hutton as well? Because we've all had him. We've all we've yeah. all uh, unsure then, on him. But just would like to know what you think. I'd like to just let Forest give him a chance. Uh, I'm sick of seeing manager after manager after manager in and out, in and out, in and out. If you think about it, really, he's still got, well, he answered now, but he's got quite a few Lumucci's players still. And he come in and changed the whole team. And then um, he's still had a lot of that team going up until the last few weeks. So he's still swapping and changing and building. Um, we've had a few good signings. Well, say God, I don't know a lot about him. We've had a few new signings um, in the last few days, always the last 24 hours. I've seen about three or four, four players go. And I think if we had two in, um, I can't pronounce the names. I'm not really going to look at him, but I'm hoping he's made some good decisions. Um, <laughs> now he knows he knows football better than me, so we've got to trust him. I think and just give him a bit of time. Um, let let the team have a bit of patience and um, let let the fans have a bit of patience and just give him a chance because we're going to get rid of if we if we decide to just kick him for a few bad results at the start of the season before we've made any changes. What what we're going to get in? What what can anyone do? from now until the next transfer and what difference is going to make yeah we'll get a new person in then all the players want to impress him for two or three games then we're back to square one again and then in, in a month or two or in three months time he'll be wanting to get they want to hang him as well so just give him a chance let him let him because um, we know he's a good manager look at his track record so just give him some time give him a chance let him see what he can do with these new signings new players you know let's, let's see what happens Let's hope you're right. I think it would be quite nice to see Forrest uh, doing well again, wouldn't it, really? Lee, I've, I've obviously want to know this because I think some footballers fancy themselves as boxers like Rooney did in the past and and that. What footballer would you fight and what footballer would you avoid a fight with? <laughs> past and present. Any, anyone, yeah, anyone. Um, there's not many footballers that can fight, I don't think, to be honest. There's a few <laughs> there's a few hot-headed footballers. Um Vinnie Jones was he one. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'd avoid him. If I had to pick someone to avoid, he's, he's a bit of a Lewis Cannon. Um <laughs> and and then the other one is basically who do you want to punch in the face? Derby lads. Uh, <laughs> the one that Every time, well, I think it was a season, two seasons ago, he was marking cash and almost some right dirty challenges in. I'd love to give him a few, a few ups to the head and to the body. What was his name? I think he was involved in the car crash, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Lawrence or Keir. It might have been Lawrence. It might have been Lawrence. Marking cash. Think of the positions. Yeah. Lawrence might have been the left wing, so it's possible when cash went forward, he might have given him a few kicks. Yeah. Yeah, it might it might be. So let let's let's say him. If I 
it's quite a long key for that one, I think, from a forest perspective. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I, mean, I think you get priority access. I'd, I'd like to think. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing well, isn't it, Cash? Is it very well? It's good to see, really. I mean, it's one of those. Obviously, you don't ever like losing your best players, but like I think someone as popular as Cash is always nice to see them take that next step. And it's nice to see them players go. Like Antonio is doing really well. Mm. Uh, Cash is doing really well. It'd be nice to hang on to a few good players ourselves, but we can't afford to a lot of the time, and um, we can't really stop good players, you know, bettering their careers. Hopefully, we're in a position where we can go up and then better ourselves and them. But um, you know, we need to get it right, and hopefully, see what see what Chris can do, and hopefully, he's the man for the job. But um, he needs to start pulling things together and doing it fast because people just lose hope really quick. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Today. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Really Indeed. appreciate it. No, no worries, lads. No worries, guys. Nice one. Take care, and um, hopefully we'll see, we'll see you back in the ring soon. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll have my actual belt soon. So, um, <laughs> yeah. go to, go to do, take a few photos and maybe bring that down the game and all. But I might not tell him. I might not tell him it was the feet one because I don't want to. I've seen a bit, yeah. Right, nice one, mate. Thank you so much. Finally, to round things up, Forest have three games before we next do a podcast for you. Uh, the first will be live on Sky on Sunday, where Forest are home to Cardiff City. Then the next one will also be, well, I think it's also on Sky, actually, I think, due to the red button, uh, where we have the Wednesday night, yeah, Forest v Borough at home on the 15th of September. And then finally, we have Huddersfield away on the 18th. So, guys, obviously, three big games. Chance now to really sort of kick on and bin this start off. What do you think? What we're saying for the Cardiff game, first and foremost. We never do well against Cardiff, do we? So, beat them last time. Anyway. Beat them last time. Yeah, at home. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, yeah, we did beat them at home. We just always seem to, they always seem to have that type of man, that championship manager, physical. They had Warnock, didn't they? And we've got McCarthy. Mm. And we've got Warnock Wednesday night. <laughs> so, it's just you're against two teams who have got two championship managers who've just got a know how. Warnock will know, and McCarthy will know. You know, get the he'll know we're struggling. Their their message will probably be in the dressing room. Turn the crowd against them, and they'll probably buckle. You know, because they're both they're both big sides. You know, we touched on when we spoke to um, Jason Dodd, didn't we? The lad up front from Middlesbrough who signed from Wickham. Oh yeah, um, the, the carbon copy, like the award. Yeah, typical like, Warnock type of sign. Imposo, whatever his name is. Yeah, Impans, just didn't want to pronounce his name badly. Is it Impanzo? Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to be two tough. You know what you're going to get in them games. They're going to be two tough games. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Um, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if we got a point out of them too. I so just. You're, you're, Go for two draws. It's, it kind of it kind of goes on the first one, doesn't it? It's hard. You, you, I, you know, you take one game at a time. If we can get a positive result against Cardiff, then you go into Middlesbrough one with some more confidence. If we lose against Cardiff, you know, then it, you're thinking if Hutton hasn't gone by then, or yeah. whatever. If we lose against Borough, he's gone. So okay, there'll be there were tough games, um, them two. <laughs> Really, out of the three, you'd probably say Huddersfield away is one where you'd fancy the most winning away from home. I would agree. I've had, I'll be annoyed if we don't win that game. Because mm. I, I expect them to be down at the bottom as well Absolutely. this season. Yeah. If I get scores from you, play three games. 
um, I'll go. I don't like never like predicting Forest get beat, but one nil <laughs> to Cardiff on Saturday. Okay. Um, against Sunday. Borough, one-one, and then hopefully by that stage we might have a change in manager and we'll we'll nick a win at Uddersfield one-nil. Uh, cool. Okay. <laughs> Lee, your scores for those three games. Um, nice and easy, man. I'm going for. A 1-0 win against Cardiff. Ooh. A 1-0 defeat against Middlesbrough. Okay. And I actually think we might get beat quite... I think it might be Uton's last game, I think, Huddersfield away. What, um, yeah. so if we lose that game, everybody wants to be. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go 2-0 um, Huddersfield. It's so shit being a Forest fan, isn't it? Fucking hell. <laughs> well, maybe in bottom of the championship yeah. in the 14th straight season in the division. Adam, what about you, mate? Last well, I've, if, if Hewton is going to fight for his job, he's got to change something. And with bringing in a couple of full-backs, we might see that. And we might see a bit more of a balanced side with, with Max Lowe coming in at left-back or left-wing-back and maybe Drager or Jed Spence. Or if I say Tutu is fit, coming in at right I think, back. I think he's back in training, Tutu, so on Instagram. Well, yeah, well, he might not be quite ready, but so you've got, yeah. you got Drago and Jed Spence play right back and you've got obviously Garner got in a few couple of weeks of training and I think he was away with England under 20s or whatever it was. Um, so hopefully there might be something happen, but I think we'll, we'll, I think we'll draw against Cardiff, maybe 1-1, one, one, uh, lose to Borough, one nil, and I think we might. I think I think obviously, like you say, it depends obviously what these other results go like. But I think we might sneak a win two one against Huddersfield. But it depends on the on the first game. I think that first game is is massive, really. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for that. Much appreciated. So for what it's worth, I reckon. I think I agree with you. I think it'll be cagey. I reckon one all Cardiff. I I reckon it'll also be one all against Borough. And then I fancy Forest to win 2-0 at Huddersfield because that's, my, that's me being optimistic. I do think we can get five points in those three games. They're not going to be pretty, but we don't exactly play pretty football anyway. So I don't think the physicality is going to bother us too much against Cardiff and Borough. Huddersfield, we should be beating. And I'll say now, if we don't, if we come out of these three games with one or two points, then I think it's time to go. It's just quote old Claude. But, um, <laughs> I think if we don't win either of the home games, I do think he'll be gone, to be honest. Yeah, no, he might even come to Huddersfield. Yeah, he might be Brazil in charge mm. for that. But um, hopefully, that's, you know, we can get five points from those three games and things start to look a bit better. Anyway, thank you all for your time. Um, thanks for uh, joining me today, all of you. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks and let's hope Forrest win some games in that time. Cheers, take care, goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Ooh. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.